Welcome to the Words Over Ice show with your host, Ray. All right, today's guest is author Jamel Casper Hill. He's got a book titled From DOC to CEO. He's got a really inspiring story, so stick around for that. Be sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at The Words Over Ice Show. We appreciate the love. Also, check out the website, wordsovericeshow.com. All right, guys, I'll let you get to the episode. Hope you enjoy it. You go by Jamal or Casper? Which Casper. you prefer? Casper. Casper. The nickname given to you back in the day or what? How'd yeah, you get that name? Yeah, because, um, you know, I was young selling drugs and the police would come, I would disappear. <laughs> you Casper the ghost, for real. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you got quite the story, man. You got a book that came out from the DOC to CEO. Um, you came a long way, man. So do do us all a favor. Take us back. Walk us through the, the progression of all of it, man. Like how... Like you just said, you were back in the day, they give you the name Casper because you were selling drugs. Like, what was your upbringing like? How'd you fall into that? Well, what happened is my mom, you know, very powerful woman, used to be in accounting. Um, uh-huh. But when the crack epidemic hit, you know, in 1985, you know, like so many others, she fell from grace. So in 1985, I was 12. My dad was in jail for a homicide. My mother, you know, being accounting, group home counselor, very hardworking woman, you know, got caught up on crack and we fell really hard. So I started, you know, my friends, my best friend, his mother was selling drugs. Where so were you living at this time? In New York, okay. in the Bronx, Bronx, New York. And my best friend's mom, you know, used to hustle. So I remember stealing some drugs out of her refrigerator. I seen her stashing them in her refrigerator and I stole some just to feed me and my little brother. Cause my mother used to disappear for four days at a time yeah. and we would be left with no food. So it was like a survival tactic for me. Mm-hmm. And through the disease of that addictive lifestyle, I just wound up getting pulled all the way in. So when children's services had got involved, I wound up, you know, going to stay with my grandmother and um, well, she lived in the ho- largest housing complex in the Bronx, and they were the guys, you know, were really selling drugs, balling out of control. Right. And um, I just got pulled in. It happens with a lot of people, man. How long were you? Uh, how long were you stuck in this game? And that lifestyle lasted twenty five years for me in nine different states, and with a total of ten years in prison. So I'd imagine you're bouncing in and out of prison at this time. Absolutely. You know, and I had a, I was, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm one of the people that was in, that's been incredibly blessed, even when I was living a crazy lifestyle that I was living. Um, and I didn't realize how blessed I was. And so the first time I went to jail, you know, I had only received a year. I got arrested with a, a firearm and I had drug charges. Um, and I, like I said, I didn't re- appreciate the blessing. So when I came home, I said, so for the kind of money I seen, a year wasn't enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and not realizing I was blessed because my best friend had got 300 months in the feds. He, so I was like, you know, for me to do a year and my friend got best friend got 25 years. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't mm-hmm. enough to change me. And I carried that thinking with me for some time until I was wound up on my fifth jail bid. And I said, enough is enough. Shit. So, so going in and out. 
there were short stints, I'd imagine, right? You said the year, about a year at a time, or how, how was it? Going in and out, um, like I said, I did, first I did a year, then I did a year and a half, then mm-hmm. I got arrested for the um, conspiracy to the homicide, I beat, which I beat, and I wound up doing a year, but then I came home and I got like, a no, I got two and a half to five, and came home from that, and did, um, Pennsylvania got this thing. I don't know a lot of states do this, but I was home for like a year and a half. So they took back the year that I walked off and made me do that first when I got arrested again under with a new charge. So I got another two and a half to five, and then I had to do the year that I walked right. off. So I got caught with a couple of pounds of marijuana, and my, because my record was so bad at this time, so they made I did like a little over three years for three pounds of marijuana. Right. They just added that on the back end. Yeah, they made me actually do the right the right. year that, that I walked off first before I could even start the time for right. the marijuana, <laughs> which is crazy. Not a lot of states do that. Nah, but Pennsylvania, you know, once you get caught in the system, Pennsylvania, that's that's one of the ugly sides of this state here. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So, what what were you peddling? Mostly, I mean, mostly weed, know, or just every year, little bit that, of everything? That, that last time when I got arrested with the marijuana, that was me trying to. Um, kind of wean yourself out of it, taper off. Yeah, you know that playing around with that whole criminal tree and just you know cutting off this branch because I you know I, I was so I sold it all from crack, you know heroin, right? Um, cocaine, and then I said, well, let me try to minimize it because I know my record is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that last time I said, you know what, it's time for me to just uproot this whole criminal tree, man, and just do things the right way because I got a friend actually who, as a teenager, he received a life sentence. So he seen me come back to state prison, you know, four times. And he was like, man, I got life, man. You know, he said to me something that changed my life. He was like, you know, me and you both got life. You're just doing yours in installments. Right, right. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't look at it like that. You know what I'm saying? He was like, you know, I can't get out once, and you keep coming back. Right. So. So let me ask you this. So throughout all these years, you're going in and out of prison, right? You're going in and out, in and out. I know you eventually got there. You eventually got to the point where you're like, the, the hell with this. I'm done with this game. I don't want anything to do with it because you are where you are now because of that mindset. But throughout all those years going in and out, did you know when you were in prison, when you got out, that you were going to go right back to the streets? Or was it more so you did it out of necessity because you had no other option? Well, to be honest with you, yeah, after the first bid, you know, I said, like I said, a year, that wasn't enough to change a deep-rooted criminal like me. You know what I mean? So I was like, right. of course. I said, the minute they let me out, I'm jumping right back in the streets. And the next bid, same thing. Same thing again the next bid. Then the next bid, the same thing. Um, And it wasn't until that last one. What are you doing while you're in there? One of the things about me is I'm very creative. So the first, you know, the second bid when I went upstate, because the first one was the county bid on Rikers Island. I did a year on Rikers Island, and that's in New York. That place is hell on earth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So that time I was just kind of, you know, young, still young, playing games. You know, I wasn't really into reading and stuff like that. But then when I came to Pennsylvania and I caught my first state sentence, that's when I started writing. You know, I was writing movies then. I wasn't into writing books. I think I wrote three movies at that time. 
And so I'm one of the people, like, I wasn't problematic in jail. You know, I studied, because, you know, my mother used to be an accountant, so she cleaned herself up by this time. So she's right. sending me business books. She seen, you know, she knew I was an entrepreneur because I had a, I had my first clothing store. I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when I went to jail, you know, she was sending me different books, Susie Orman, Nine Steps to Financial Freedom, The Courage to Be Rich, um, you know, some powerful books. So, I, you know, I was one of the guys that stayed out the way, just reading. And then when I said, you know, when I get out, you know, I'm gonna get some drug money to finance my businesses. And that's what I kept doing. So what I would do is I came home like the first time, 2002. I went, I lost, when I got arrested, March of 2002, I had two clothing stores. Um, Then I got arrested and I lost both of them. So I, you know, I was in jail studying, came home, started selling drugs again, opened some more stores. I might've bought my first property, um, real estate. Mm -hmm. Then a little while later, I got locked up again came home, repeated the process. So it was like a crazy process in and out. And people kept saying, like, we know you're smart and you got, you know, great ideas, but your lifestyle is killing you. Right. The and way it wasn't to that fifth jail bid. And I was like, man, this is getting out of control. This is all during the time, too, where you can get that cash and make these moves because it's hard to do that nowadays with just straight cash money. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's interesting to see that throughout that whole situation, the the way to go about getting the money translating into uh, the mindset that you have, because I know you hung around a bunch of people didn't have the same mindset as you. They were spending the money on cars and, you know, basically all, all liabilities and shit. You over here trying to build an empire on some asset type shit. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so, so did that ever interfere with the, the group or anybody that you might have ran with? I did have a friend that was close to me, um, and me and one of my partners that he's turned his life around now as well. Good. We always had that one, you know, partner with us. We say because we used to say, I had a, I ran my operation in New York, which was weird. People used to be bug out of because I used to sell drugs. My hours. Operation was ten in the morning to five at night, and people <laughs> used so to that used to bug people out. So at at five when we shut down the building, um, I was like, let's go sit down in the restaurant. You know what I mean? We could plan. You know, talk right. about how we're gonna do this business and take care. You know, the stores and this and that. And the other friend used to say, "Man, fuck these stores and you know and all of that stuff. Right. Now let's go to the strip club." Right. Mm-hmm. So the he was distracted. Unfo- exactly. And he's the guy that we don't deal with today because he doesn't respect our change. Right. Also kind of just on some y'all hold out or whatever, that kind of mentality. It's like, no, I'm really not trying to go back. Um, exactly. I got too many opportunities. <laughs> I'd imagine yes, he's I mean, still in the same that, spot. Yeah, that's the part. I just I had last year I ended a 30 year friendship because we going in two different directions. But, you know, I mean, like you said, your friend told you you're doing it in installments and you're not trying to do another installment because I imagine after so many times, it's pretty much a wrap. Plus, at the age that we're at now, it's not a, it's not the it's not the jam. It's not the move. And, you know, one of the worst disservice, this is what I even tell kids when I mentor, because I mentor at four different schools here in Pennsylvania where I live at. And one of the things I tell them that I learned, and I share this with even grown men, I said, mm-hmm. One of the worst disservices we could do to ourselves is be sitting away, rotting in some prison, knowing we never gave ourselves a chance. Yep. 
Yep. And that's what I had to tell myself. Like that's why I said, you know, I know what I'm capable of in the streets, but I didn't I never knew what I was capable of, you know, because I never gave myself a chance to really commit to something positive. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did when I got released September 9th, 2013. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. It's like that saying goes, if you can if you can hold the block down, you can buy the block and do it right. the right way. You know what I'm saying? Because you already got the entrepreneur. Uh, formula, it, it just comes natural to you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, you can hustle anything if you can hustle that. You know, the scary thing what has happened to us in the hood and in the city, selling drugs has become like a culture. Like people put cool factors on it. Right. It was yeah. like, you mm-hmm. know, saying, yo, you know, I hustle. I'm out here in the streets, man. I'm getting this money. But when you were doing it, it was a means to an end. It was not it no fucking exactly. joke. This ain't exactly. a club that I'm trying to be a part of. I got to eat, goddammit. Exactly. Well, you, you get that all around. I mean, and it comes from it comes from glorifying in the know, movies and shit. You know, in the movies, the rappers, everybody talks about the you know you know dealing here on this corner, on that corner. You know, buying buying cars, going to strip clubs. It's what kids are taught. And and you're right, man. It, there's there is a cool factor to it. And you watch these gangster movies, and everybody wants to be right. a gangster because because it's quote unquote you know they run the world. And you see these lifestyles that they live on on film and it's glorified, but you don't see the other side of it. You going in and out of jail. But then you know the other I mean? side of it, you and you and I both know somebody that's like, fuck it. I'll rather go back. Cause all my homies on the inside yeah. anyway, you know what I mean? Exactly. So that mentality in itself is kind of crazy to me too. Like, fuck you don't. And that's what I was going to bring up to you as well. Casper. And th- thanks Jake. Cause I was actually, I was thinking that and we're, we're, we both know who we're talking about. We have, we've got a guy who goes in and out and he really doesn't fear prison anymore he says you know I, I know everyone in there it's like a second home to me i don't i don't mind spending time in there and i think that's a mentality that unfortunately a lot of people adopt when they're in and out and some people honestly some people spend so much time in prison that they don't know how to reintroduce themselves integrate. into what you would call society you know what i mean exactly so you know people like that i do and to be honest with you, I have a huge disdain for that kind of thinking because mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's a cop out. Um, people just don't want to change. I could have came home. Like I said, I started selling drugs at 12. So I didn't change till I was in my 30s, late 30s. So I could have came home with that thinking this is all I know. This is what yeah. I'm going to do and, and use that as a cop-out. But I sat in jail and I studied real estate day and night. Right. Count clear. Like, they take count at 6.30 in the morning. Count with clear by 7 o'clock in the prison. By mm-hmm. 7.30, the latest, I was sitting at my own little table that I used to have with my tea, studying my real estate. I mean, right. day and night. Would you say that uh, also with your mom cleaning herself up and being intricate in your life sending you you know inspirational material to study do you think that's a factor too that other people don't have that I mean, as well you know one of the things that i to be honest with you that would not have been effective if i didn't stop and recognize my own work right. first and foremost right right well it, it and all that's is what i tell you. people yep. though that's the part they got to get at because you know i write people in jail now and i tell them because they say i don't have nobody and i say listen you got you, you got yeah. God, man. Yeah. That's the most important. You got the greatest thing there. And that's what team success is, my company, team success. And I have to tell people that right there alone makes you a powerful team. You yeah. and God. Yeah. 
Well, that that's what it comes down to at the end of the day because exactly. everybody can they can get you can get all this push, all this knowledge, all this all whatever you want to call it from the outside. But if you don't internalize it and see the the opportunity within you and, and believe in yourself. None of that other shit matters. Exactly. And anybody, like I said, once you realize that first, anything or anybody that come into your life, they just, that's a, is an add on. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. So my mother and them sending me the books, that was like an add on. Yeah. Because I, I had this, I came to realize my own self worth. It said, man, I'm better than this. I got to, I could do more. Was there a specific instance or situation that kind of flipped it for you and made you realize that? Or did you just come to on your own? You know, getting tired of it. Like I said, you start, as you start to age and you start realizing like, you know, I don't want to die this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to give myself a chance and at least see what I'm capable of. I said, at least let me try it. You know what I'm saying? Go home and do it the right way. Try it and see what I'm capable of. Because if I don't, and I keep doing, and then, like I said, I've seen her, and for real, for real, jail sometimes is a blessing because people get murdered. Yeah. You know, I had a situation, you know, and you, you'll see this when my movie comes out that, you know, me and my biological, this is my dad, my biological father was in a shootout against five men. I watched him get hit five times right on the side of me, not a bullet touched me. People had jokes saying, oh yeah, you really Casper the Friendly Ghost. But I was saying like, you know, I felt like God was telling me then, like, I protected you. Yep. People could call you all these nicknames and say what they want, but I protected you. you And I had some growing, yeah, I had growing up to do that even before I got to the point where I realized I was blessed in that way. Right. Bullets was hitting everything around me. The fence, they ricocheting off. These guys were shooting shotguns. Four fifths with extended clips. I'm hearing windows behind me being shot out. Right. Like I said, my dad fell out right on the side of me, and I'm shooting two guns at these guys. So I, you know what I mean? Like, but then I knew you have that a was purpose. the first. You yeah, got a like purpose. God was showing me, He had His hand on my life. And these were my childhood friends that we were <laughs> having a shootout with. Wow. Yeah. That's a flip of script. Shit. So, you know. I mean, we cool a day and everybody's getting ready for the movie, but, you know, that's where we, we had to go. You know, we blame it on the life, but, you know, I had to go through what I had to go through. And this is what the young kids don't understand, like the dark side of that part of the game, when people come for your life. Right. Because they're so jealous. It, was that over territory or just? Yes, it was look- definitely over territory because we was live. you know, in New York City housing projects, we had two buildings right next to each other competing. And right. I, one of the things about when I was selling drugs, I got cheated people with respect because I, I, my mother was getting, you know what I mean? So I came right. from that. So I, like I said, it started as a survival tactic, but I never made the people that was coming to buy the drugs from me feel like they were less. It wasn't sympathy. They, it was exactly. empathy. You know what I mean? It was empathy because you exactly. knew you knew the, the disease that they had. You know what I'm saying? But exactly. at, the end, at the end of the day, you got to get your money. Got to get your money, and I realized they're human. So I, you know, I would I would feed people. Right. I would look out, and you know, and and they and in return, you know, I had a huge influx to my business. Right. And and the, my competitors that you know they that lost. Don't sit well. <laughs> it didn't sit well. Exactly. Exactly. That's a story, man. That's crazy. Seriously, it's fucking. That's nuts. And when was this going on? What year was this? That was June, June 1995. And we, we was having, you know, little shootouts, you know, a few years every year before that. And then 1995 was when it got really, really out of control bad. Because right. my dad came home from the homicide. So, Shit. and, um, you know, he's like different level. Yeah, he's not so, worried about that shit. 
Yeah, so he was different level, and it escalated. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, we were young. I was young, you know, like going through it then around, you know, 18, right. 19. And I think we were just shooting at each other, trying to scare each other. Right. But when my right. dad come home, it was, you know, oh, no, 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 he's serious, and, you know, it's going to another level. Right. Yeah. So how long after that did uh, did it take to, to end? Um, and then you got very serious into your real estate, and you know, just business ventures that were what you would call uh lucrative and, and legal. Well, that's nineteen ninety-five. So I didn't get on to, you know, the legal ventures to nearly almost twenty years later, two thousand and thirteen. Yikes. So in and out for the next twenty. Yes. Yo, you, you definitely do have something. Uh God is looking out for you for real. <laughs> I mean, yes. You cannot I mean, deny that. <laughs> for real. You yeah. know, I was a victim of police brutality. Oh, I you can only I mean? imagine. I can only, that, psh, they're the biggest gang. Oh, my God. Then Damn I, had, I was also six months after the police put me in the hospital because um, they beat me really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I was charged with assault on police. Of course. Um, after they beat you? Yep. They charged you with assault? Yes. Happens all the time. The cop ran up on me. You know, I was in the project selling drugs, and the cop approached me. And um, I had just gave, you know, one of the workers a bag of crack, and he tried to grab me. And I blacked out because, like I said, you know, they had just beat me up real bad. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, he tried to grab me, and I just blacked out. And, uh, you know, we started fighting, and I, like, punched him. Yep. You know, it just got bad. But, you know, like I said, God spared me. I wanted to beat in the charge um, and was still back at it, man. It was so much growing up that I had to do. And I had, I thank God that I got myself out of that mentality because hatred, like you said, that's the biggest, you know, you know, biggest gang out there. So, yeah, you know, if I didn't get out of that mentality, I could have ended, I would have definitely ended up dead or, you of know, course. in prison. Unfortunately, can't beat them. You know what I'm saying? Cause Definitely. And I don't, to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not one of them people that, cause I used to live the life that I hate the police. I don't feel like all of them is bad. Right. But it's not, no, there's I a few you. that no, give them a bad I name. There, I'll say this. It's a majority of them that's bad because they don't speak up. They always got each other's back. You know that's, what I'm saying? That's the part that's sad when they know, right. you know, a partner might be doing wrong. Right, but they're um, not going to say shit. You know, because that blue wall of silence, you know what I mean? In, until you're a police officer of color, and then, you know, you're paying a, a white woman's family $20 million, and now your ass is going to jail, like old boy in Minnesota or whatever. Exactly. But, ne- but neither here nor there. Let's fast forward, because, you know, that we could talk about that all day. Let's talk about your, your 2019, your first, your, first, uh, your first legal venture. Where well, you started- that actually came... Um, I got out 2013, um, no money, but high ambition, a lot of knowledge, um, willing to give myself a chance, no work experience, so I had to get a job, and by the grace of God, I could imagine that was tough for you, changing pace like that. Oh, definitely, because you imagine you're going from making $15,000 a week to a $10 an hour job. That's a culture shock. Not even that, just with, with your background. I mean, it's it's part of that cycle of going in and out of prison. It's a lot of people turn back to selling because you got no other choice, right? And it's hard to get exactly. to get work. So wh- where did you where did you find work? So I wound up working in this um 
a packaging company that makes pl- fluorinated bottles um, right here in Pennsylvania. There's only two companies in the United States left that makes fluorinated bottles. So you walk into this factory, the smell of fluorine is really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only making $10 an hour. But I st- uh, and one of the things I teach people is I was working seven days a week for four months at a time, literally no days off. I was determined because, like I said, I don't make much. Um, and I was just telling myself, look, if I can stand out on the block all day long, you know what I mean? You beat me to right. it because you already had that, that mentality. Exactly. Um, no days off. And I teach people now that I started two businesses off a $10 an hour job. My real estate company, so I incorporated my real estate company at the end uh, in December 2013. I filed my LLC paperwork. And and in 2000, in the end of 14, I filed, you know, everything for my team success company. So, That's you know, I worked it. incredibly hard, incredibly yeah. hard. And I wound up purchasing. It took me about two years to purchase my first investment property. Okay. Um, so so your, your real estate company, did, was that real estate sales? Were you showing houses or was it for investment properties? Investment to, to properties. You know, I'm a landlord. Um, okay. And I and I I had to teach my I taught myself because I know that I was going to be teaching this to others coming behind me the lowest possible source to purchase real estate from. So um, in Pennsylvania here, you got the Tax Claim Bureau, and you had a the Redevelopment Authority. So you were getting the bottom of the barrel properties, mm-hmm. um, but it was a great entry point. And this is what I teach people today. You know, the way from the bottom to make a way because the redevelopment authority sell your house right now for three dollars. It might need eighteen thousand dollars worth of work. Right. But, you know, at the end, if it's worth forty seven, the numbers right. will work. That's how it's going down in uh, Bronzeville here in Chicago. Yeah. But yes. you got to live within the neighborhood to get that deal. Exactly. And then, you know, they got, you know, the 203K, you know, um, which is a federal home improvement loan. And they give you that with bad credit. So, you know, you just got to be willing to live in it. So I tell people live in it, you know what I mean? Get it fixed up and, you know, stepping stone. The the living in it is what, a year, two years, something like that? Yes, two years. Right. And, um... But, you know, it's a stepping stone. And, and you know, you be safe. Like, I, I've been home oh, this year, be six years, and I have no problems whatsoever. And I love my life. And I'm, you know. Congratulations, brother. And I'm still investing. Yeah. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm working on eight different streams of income. But see, that's, 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 what, that's uh, the road to a millionaire. Absolutely. Yeah. Jay, Jay and I had a, we just did a recent show about that. And. And how important real estate is because real estate and we were talking about ways of investing money. And, and I think we can all agree on here. I think we're all in the same mindset that real estate is one of the most, if not lucrative most. ways, oh, if absolutely. not the most, a it's a, it's a stream of income, right? You can, have, if, if you do it right, you get a monthly stream. So you get your, your cash flow, your monthly cash Residual flow going. And it's, oh, yeah. And, and you, and you have, you have an asset that either you can turn and flip if it appreciates to the point, or if not, you have something that you have to pass on and it, and it becomes, and it can become, if you build it large enough, it can become generational wealth is which is what you try to try to build for you and your family. Right. And not just that, that quick, easy, you know, hit the lotto type of wealth where it's one time and you're done, you have something that's going to sustain over the years and properties, properties, the way to go. You know, the richest people on the planet are investment, real, you know, investors well, or real estate investors. Yes. I'm working on a, 
a real estate book. I just want to get some more properties under my belt, um, mm-hmm. some more experience. But I am going to be releasing a real estate book. And I got two um, two things in the book that help influence my decision. So, like you said, so I had a, a report from directly from the IRS where they said 74% of self-made millionaires in this country um, mm-hmm. that filed a million or more on their taxes are in real estate or real estate-related activities. Yep. I was like, that's yep. awesome. Yep. Then I had another study from Fortune magazine that said 97% of self-made millionaires in this country are in real estate or real estate-related activities. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, 97%? That's a high number. But see, they got the hustle, and you already got that. So you on your way. And, you know, like I said, now, even when I teach kids, like a lot of people don't know about um, Willow Tefano. She's one of my favorites. She's a young girl from Florida. As of 2014, she was the youngest landlord in the United States. How old is At she? At 14 years old, 14? she had two properties. <laughs> wow. Good for her. The biggest private landlord in the United States as of 2013 was a man named Samuel Zell. He said on the first of every month, 200,000 people got to mail him a rent check. Jesus. That's what's up. That's money, man. If it's a dollar. Yeah, if it was only sending him $10, that was $3 million a month. Right. And we know the rent ain't $10. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So real estate is very lucrative. Um, It's extremely lucrative. And that's what I do by day, Casper, is I finance commercial and investment properties. Nice. And I think, you know, if you, you know, if you're doing a buy and hold strategy, landlording, man, and you know, you're one of the good ones, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you know, proud of ownership, it, you know, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. So your real estate, are you focusing on residential, like multifamily right now? Yes. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm getting into mixed units now okay. because I've ran retail stores for so long. Mm-hmm. So I was actually today at 12 o'clock, I had an appointment for a mixed unit. That okay. I'm looking to purchase. Okay. I like that. You know, where I got the store downstairs and, yeah. you know, right. four apartments Tended upstairs. Up. Exactly. Yeah. The, so, uh, the, thing with, that the, book th- the thing with multifamily is, and Jay, you and I were talking about it, yeah. uh, which type of property. I said, listen, man, you, there's, there's retail, you know, there's retail. You've got your big box stores. The one I always liked is multifamily because no matter what happens in the economy or, or in this world, people need, will always need a place to live. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you you always have you're always going to have a consumer on the other end of it. Yep. So sorry, Jay, not to cut you off. No, no, you're good. That's a that's a super a super valid point. Um, so Casper, with this new book that you're talking about, do you have a title thought up for it? Yes, and, uh, from selling kilos to selling condos. Hey, hey nice. I like it. <laughs> you got a one yet? But that's the title. I talk about it in my book anyway. Hey, the deal. You, you got a, a tentative uh, release date? No, no, because um, I tr- one of the things I don't do. I'm work. I'm writing three books at the same time. Okay, okay. Um, I don't really. Tr- I, I keep. I'm keep to a, you know myself strict with my writing, but I don't even want to set it because then that makes you dilute the creative process. Exactly. So I don't want to say, oh, I got to get this done by July first, and then right, right. Try you to rush, stick to that. Rush as, mm-hmm. Exactly as creative right. as I can be. But you know, I'm strict. I'm strict on myself, saying you know, get your writing done. But I don't just beat myself up over just to get a couple pages done, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Every day, I, you know, I make sure that I write at least you know two to five pages every day. Um, whether it's in my children book, 
the movie, um, I make sure, you know, I'm strict on my writing, but I don't have, say, you know, as far as dates. Now, once the writing is done, oh, I, I don't play around, and I go into, you know, get everything right. done. Mm-hmm. Right. But as far as the creative process, because, you know, I try to just, you know, write good and, you know, be real and be serious about it, and I don't want to dilute it trying to, you know, race to that deadline. Right. See, I understand that fully. And the real, the real thing that, that I think, like you said, man, there's, there's, there's a reason you're here and I can somewhat relate, not, not in the depths of you. Like I had, I had an experience when I grew up in this, the inner cities of Chicago, not in great neighborhoods. Um, I never got into the drug dealing and the gangs, but uh, my entire family was, I had cousins shot, killed. I've been, you know, multiple funerals. I actually had a, uh, an episode where my father, me, my father, and my cousin, we were just getting back from playing basketball and we're in Chicago and we're just going to get something to eat. You know, we parked the car across crossing the street and we're in basketball clothes. And I think I was wearing black and red or something and not, not on purpose, but I was just wearing the wrong colors in the wrong neighborhood. And I remember vividly this little kid, he had to be, had to be 11, 12 years old on a bicycle. And he just rides by us and he looked at us real funny. And I just remember that look and, and, you know, he just drives by and a few seconds later, you just hear, you know, pop, pop, pop. And he starts shooting. So my father, me, my father, my cousin naturally start running. And I remember to this day, man, and I, that's why I believe there's a reason I'm still here. My father looks at me and says, duck. And the moment he says duck, I put my head down and the bully grazes that very same moment grazes the top of my head. So if he would have never said duck, that thing would have caught me right in the back of the head. So, so to your point, man, there, there's, there's a reason. And, and like you standing there, you know, next to your father and bullets flying all around you and you not one touching you, you know, that, there's a just, reason. Yes. And that's just one incident. like, okay, do me a favor. We'll play a game real quick. So I started, like I said, um, it got serious for me. I started in 85, but it got serious around 1990 when my predecessors all got they got snatched in 89, you know, that's when the government started really cracking down after mm-hmm. the whole limb bias laws and federal mandatory minimums. But name a, pick a year, any year from 1990 to 2013. Say 93. Ooh, 93. 1993 is when I had the um, assault on a police officer. I was having shootouts that year, assault on police officers. And my dad, my dad actually came, my dad got arrested in 85. He only did three years for the homicide. So he came home in 88, 89. 1993, it was major for me. So we had an incident where I said, Dad, I'm making a lot of money. I was like 19 years old. I said, Dad, I'm making a lot of money. Um, I need your help. We're saving it because people are stealing from me left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm one of them kids. Like, I was born with skin all over my face when I came out of my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. The doctor just called it extra skin, but the grow grandmothers down south said, you have a veil. So I'm one of them people, like, if something in my spirit really disturbs me, I change gears. Like if something is, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I should have used that when I, you know, going to jail. But anyway, so <laughs> I went to my dad and I tell him dad, like, I need your help. He was like, all right, cool. son. I got you. You know what I mean? Just bring the money to me. I help you put it away. But my spirit told me, don't do it. So, you know, I'm looking out for him. You know what I mean? I'm giving him money, but I'm like, I'm not going to take him, you know, my lump sums of money that's to hold for me. So I wound up going to my aunt, his sister, my favorite aunt. And he says, um, 
he come get me one day. He said, take with me, take a ride with me to my job. And he was working like a little security, you know, gig in the Bronx. So we go to his job in this complex. And we go down to the basement. They got like a little weight room down there, whatever, whatever. So I'm like, what's going on? In my mind, I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on here? Now, you know, I never really questioned him. But I was scared of him. My dad was like one of them fathers from good times. Right. <laughs> street guy just yeah, you know, yes. doing time for murder and all that stuff. So I'm down there with him in the basement. He goes, whatever happened to that? He goes, Jamel, what happened to that money? You know, you said you was going to bring me. I said, oh, no, nah, you know, I found another way. Like, I, you know, I'm straight. It's cool. He was, so now his whole demeanor changed. In my mind, I'm like, what's up with him? <laughs> he goes, well, listen. Every Friday, no later than 6 o'clock, make sure you have at least 500 for me. So I said, what? He said, you heard what the F I said. Every Friday, no later than 6 o'clock, make sure you got at least 500 for me. I said, let me tell you something, Dad. Before I do that, I'll go to this roof right now and jump. He was like, you sound stupid right now. I was like, well, that's how I feel. And we didn't speak for like a year after that. Right. Because I'm like, my dad, like, you trying to extort me? Right, right. Anybody else, people, you know what I'm saying? Like, been shooting. Right. <laughs> you trying to extort me? And then, I, you know, I know that he was more experienced with shooting, you know what I mean? And then he's my dad, but it was like. But it's just more me. so your father coming at you that kind of way. You know Exactly. I mean? And this is my biological father. So we started speaking and we getting close again. Then I had another incident in 94. Um, so mind you, remember when me and him had the shooting in 1995? against my childhood friends. So in 1994, I got a new baby. My son is born. Um, I'm looking out for my dad now. We're speaking again. I'm giving him money, helping him get on his feet. I don't realize that he's on angel dust, and I he might be on cocaine. I don't really know. But I know every three days he's coming to me saying, could you give me some money? So I'm making a lot of money at the time. So I'm like, you know, ain't nothing. I'll give him a little 700 here. He come back in two days. I'll give him another 350. So I had just connected with these rich guys out of Harlem. They was, you know, before they go there and they're making a lot of money. So he comes. Um, I'm buying, sit down with them. I'm about to make a purchase, a large order of cocaine. He comes in the house and he goes, Jamel, I need some more money. I'm like, well, dad, not right now. Like, I'm going to do a deal. They're going to look out for me, but I got you. I'll see you later on. He gets mad and storms out the house. Mm-hmm. Um, about an hour later, you know, I'm taking care of business. I'm talking to my, you know, my baby mom, and, you know, we're talking about the baby. I see him coming from the other side of the projects, him and his friend. He got his hands in his jacket, and I just get a bad feeling. So I slide in my back pocket. I had like maybe about seven fifty something. I give it to my baby mother casually and say, "Yo, go home. I'll call you in a few." And um, he comes. He comes across the street. He go, "Let's go upstairs to your house, your apartment. Um, tell your homeboys come up too." And mind you, these are still my childhood friends. Even though we comp competing and we go through our little ups and downs, right? So we mm-hmm. get up in the house. And I'm like, they're like, what's up? Why are we, going, we riding up on the elevator? And they're like, you know, what your dad want to talk to us about? I'm like, I don't know. Let's just go see what he want. We get in the house. He go, everybody get on the fucking wall. Wow. And I'm like, what? And then they looking at me like, you know, what's going this, on This is a fucking joke? And I'm like, yo, dad, what's up? <laughs> and he like, you too, motherfucker. Where the money and the drugs at? And they patting us all down. And um, they don't get nothing. But that, from that point on, me and my friendship with you know, my childhood friends uh, really was... gotten worse. 
And yeah. we never really covered. And then a year later, um, you know, like I said, me and my dad, you know, I forgave him because I got a forgiving heart. We got past that. And, you know, we we making money now together. But they're looking but, at you like they you set them up and shit. Like I you was set in them on up. It. Exactly. And 1995, we just wound up having that big, <laughs> big shootout. Um, so, like I said, year after year, man, it's just been so much pain and chaos. I'm making money. You know what I'm saying? And, but you it's know, not. Living, it doesn't feel but, the same, though. Exactly. So it's like, you know, you got money, you got businesses, a lot of women, but it's like, it's heavy. It's just yeah. that heavy feeling. Yeah. That's so, the stuff so I, that I don't miss. I bet 97 through 99 was interesting because there was a, that was a change in life across the board. 97 was a, you know, it was beautiful. So I had, I'm making money in New York City. And I'm selling drugs in Virginia, and that's doing well. But my house got robbed. I got robbed. They robbed my house in Virginia for like $20,000. And my best friend, he was selling drugs in Beaufort, South Carolina. He wound up getting shot in the back with a uh, 12-gauge. Goddamn. Damn. And that was real hurtful for me. And the crazy part is, he got. this is um, the summer of 1997. He died from that gunshot wound in 2013 when I was in a halfway house. Wow. I couldn't even go to his funeral. He never went anywhere and got it taken care of or anything, did he? Well, he was, you know, the funny thing is he couldn't walk. Yeah. Um, But I guess, like they said, an infection in his back. Like, he was always in therapy, whatever, whatever. But. And it was like, and I'm saying, like, wow, how does that happen? Like, an infection, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. From 1997 to 2013. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's. I'm sorry for your loss, man. That that just sounds. That that. I don't know, man. That's fucked up. I remember him telling me though. I told him when I got out. Like I'm talking to him in the halfway house. He had left. You know, Carolinas. He was in a um um one of the facilities. You know that help you recover. I forgot the name offhand. When I'm, you know, you talking about the, uh, rehabilitation. You know, yeah. places. Um. And I told him, look, Ski, that's what, you know, his name was Mark. We called him Mark Ski. And I'm like, yo, Ski, I'm finally done, man. I'm going, I'm doing this the right way. And he was like, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. And then two weeks later, I remember the call, you know, him, his sister contacted me. It's like, he passed away. But see, it's fucked up that it's, it's a friend like him that is, gets, is gone. But it's like other friends that just don't give a fuck. You know, they, they still here doing and, their shit. And you know, and I think that's that's life has that it means something in life. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know twist to it all the time. Yeah, it is, it is. It's an incredible twist to it. That's why you guys just push forward, man, and do what's right. Do what you gotta and do. And enjoy the shit you got right now. Yes, yes. And the people you got. Yes. So that's yeah, the hard part about me writing a movie, man, just internalizing everything. Um I like I said, I got Netflix waiting on us to get done with this. But, you know, it's hard, man. It's hard. I'm well, what's the name of the movie? A bad game. Bad game. Okay. okay. I'll be, I'll definitely this, be looking. It's just for that. about just about your life, huh? Yes, yes, and the journey and the craziness and me, you know, me turning things around. I was, you know, sitting down at the shop the other day writing, and um, and I had wrote this before, but I went through so much. I remember I told you I said I started writing when I first went to jail. But I went through so much since then, so I'm, you know, now I'm revising it, trying to, you know, add everything. Right. But what happens is, I was sitting down about three weeks ago, and I was in tears writing this movie, man. 
Yeah. And I'm like just rehashing everything, old old God, memories. Like, I was and trying feelings. to write the scene with my dad and yeah. so you know, you gotta relive it to write it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the part. And I'm like picturing the blood and him falling and yep. everything. And next thing I know, the tears is flowing down my face. And I'm like, what's up? Like, what's going on here? But because I realize I'm not that cold person I used to be. Right. In those moments, too, you have to, you, your brain automatically catalogs it and puts it into a place where you can deal with it. And then when you come back, when you've changed as a person and see those situations again, it hits you with a chill. It, yes. Yeah. It, it's almost like, like you said, you're not that same person anymore. So had that situation happen right now with who you are, your reaction to it would be totally different. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Mm. That's, that's crazy. I'm, I'm looking forward to this movie. Personally, so, so yeah, me too, man. But, and you, uh, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're doing the movie as well. But I know you got the first book out, and you said you're doing three others right now. Right? Yes, the psychology of success. Um, and then I'm writing. That's that's for adults. Um, then I'm writing. You know, because I mentor so many kids, and I love mentoring kids. Right. So I got a children's workbook that I'm working on for kids from about that. It could range from anywhere from about 11 to 21. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the name of the first book that's out now? From DOC to CEO. Okay, and where can people pick that up? Amazon, um, some bookstores around the world. Okay, there's digital copies too? I haven't released it there because, you know, I got a bookstore. Like, I'm just like an old school guy. I still love physical I, I, copies. I appreciate it. But, you know, there's people out there. That, I know. I, I want I know. it on my phone. Like, hey, hey, I, hey. Know. I know. I'm, 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 one, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but, you you know, still, but you still get books, too, though. So, shut up. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm so old school. I like walking in somebody's house and you see that old school library. Doesn't it just make you have such a huge respect for them? Yeah. When you walk in somebody's house and you see, like, the physical books. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know books, huh? So, okay, we can we can actually vibe. I, can, oh, I got to see, the, the crazy thing is, like, the, aside from the thug, the crazy shooting guy, <laughs> it was a nerd. That's what I think that really helped make me change, because I got the nerd side of me. But also, you know, your environment. It is what it is. We're all a product of our environment one way or another. It's whether or not we want to change and, and see the opportunity that we don't have to generally be a, a complete uh, product of our environment, you know? So, but yeah, man, you've had yeah, a journey. Reading. Like I said, you know, I open books, so I'm going to actually reopen in the next month and a half. What, another another bookstore? My bookstore. Okay. And at the time, when bookstores are closing. So I'm a gambler. I like mm-hmm. it. Um, I know people's bookstores are closing, but it's a service that I love doing. And I'm living a happy life, so, you know, I'm going right. to reopen. It's about location. Yes. Location yes. is everything. Yes. And you get, you know, you got to hustle, man. Get creative and make it work. Mm-hmm. So. Castro, man, you, books, you, uh, yeah, quite the journey, man. And it's definitely, definitely not over. And I'm, I'm glad that I know. I know. you took a turn and, and now you're starting just a new chapter, you know, speaking of books, you're, you're starting a whole new chapter and maybe a whole nother book. And it's, it's, you're doing good things. You really thank are. You, thank you. Thank you. Incredible journey, man. One day I'd like to put my dad's book out too, man. You know, just him. Cause there's a lot. We didn't even cover like, um, you know, he just did 18 years. My dad came home last year from doing 18 years for wow. another shooting. And I don't know wow. if I told y'all before, he only got one eye. Like he shot his own eye out. Um, he had put the gun to the side of his head, pull a trigger and it came out his eye. So my dad got one eye and, yeah, um, yeah. 
So, you know, eventually I'm probably going to wind up putting his book out. He just Yeah, he sounds like he's going to have a hell of a story as well. Right. Yes, yes. My little brother, very, you know, another smart one. He's going to focus more on his real estate career when he get out. He's doing 12 years. So, man, just so much around me, man. It's been an incredible yeah. journey. I thank God, though, man. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. People see me, they say, like, you know, you're so humble. But, like I said, I'm blessed. Shit. I'm blessed. The shit you've been through, you're going to be humble. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you know, you know, some people do get cocky. They don't trust people. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can stop and say now, like, I don't trust nobody. My father robbed me. I don't trust you. Yeah, I could be like, I don't trust you, God. You know what I mean? Don't let nobody in my house. But, nothing, you know what I mean? But I'm not that. But, but but your grandmother, like she told you, that veil. You yeah. got a different sense of shit. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You can read people very easily. Yes, yes, and my vibes never leave me wrong. So I'm blessed. Right. Hey, on um, Instagram, what's your handle? Arthur Casper Hill. Arthur Casper Hill. Yep, I'm Facebook already following Casper you. Casper Hill. Okay. Facebook has been a, um, a good, another incredible blessing for me, man. Now, um, the people, I'm building my Instagram more. I got to post more on Instagram, but right. my Facebook is out of control. It's, it's blessed. It's blessed. Okay. I've sold, I mean, I sold thousands of copies through Facebook. Um, and, you know, the people follow me. I have, you know, Facebook has been my big. I'm working on developing Instagram more. When your schedule is so, you know, it's bad and you do everything, you know, yourself. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm going to go work with, do some uh, mentorship at Steve Harvey's program. I don't know if I had told you guys that because mm-hmm. I was on the show. I was just in California in January. I was on Steve Harvey's show. Um, okay. he wants me to come out mentor at his program. I'm sure they check in my clearances and make sure I got everything under control. But, um, so I got to develop my Instagram cause I know they probably watching that, but my Facebook, um, is where I'm really, really active on my Facebook more than anything. Good man. I'll definitely have your information up in the show notes as well. So everybody, everybody's got to follow man. I mean, you've, you've got a inspiring story and it's just a real it's a real story you know that's what I mean? the thing it's, is it's real yeah it's, it's no hollywood makeup you know what i'm saying glorified embellished this is real shit like nip said you don't gotta listen to my songs check my hood they'll tell you about me my yeah. favorite nip line that i share with people now is he said i wrote it down and i followed through yep i love that I love that. That's very important. And in my new book, I got in the psychology of success, I got a chapter where I talk about both of those things where aim, you can't hit a target. You can't identify. So that's why I tell people you got to have a goal. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, your brain needs a goal. Right. People don't realize that. Like you have the RAS system in our brain, that reticular activating system where it needs a goal. And writing it down keeps you focused. Yes. Writing your and goals you down. Execute from there. So I got a chapter on execution, which is my favorite chapter. Cause you know, you gotta execute. You got you know what I'm saying? So, you know, they you say do, that, um, innovation is praise, but execution is worship. So you gotta mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> you gotta work hard. You yes. gotta you gotta work hard in anything you do and it opens doors and then a lot of people I think a lot of people get stuck in the in the grind, even if you if you don't have a a goal identified. Because a lot, of, I think a lot of people get lost in not having a goal. And I know it's you you do need a goal. You need a kind of an end game, 
But even as you're searching for that goal, whatever you're in, you need to work hard to continue to open doors for yourself. Cause a lot of people, I think it's stuck in that, in that rut of, I don't have a, I don't have an, uh, you know, an end game. I don't have a goal and what I'm in, I'm not super happy in. So I'm not going to give it my all. And you just end up, you know, rinse and repeating the same thing. And you end up 10 years later in the same exact spot. So yeah, to execute and to, and to work hard is, you know, hard work. There's, there's, there's something to be said about hard work and it, it does open doors for you. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that I share with people, that's why I think, you know, the goals are very important because you can't just be that wandering generality. You got to be a meaningful Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the RAS system in your brain. So it's like, um, it need a goal. So the minute you say, you know, I need to buy a house, all of a sudden now your RAS system, you start noticing, you know, for sale by owner signs and foreclosure this and that. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know what I mean? But the minute you wasn't looking for, you didn't notice them things. Because mm-hmm. that's now the, the whole, RAS system. Now the whole brain. neighborhood's up for sale and shit. Exactly. You start looking. Yeah, you you offer somebody. You know what I mean? Like your mind will start getting creative. Like person might be telling you, oh, you know, this house getting on my nerves. You want to sell it? Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause something know, more, something more relatable yeah. is when people, when people start to like a specific car or a specific shoe or something, all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere. Exactly. That's the RAS system in your brain. Mm-hmm. It starts to see, you know, with that dominating thought, you know, put you in the lot in the alignment with your goal. So like, I agree. Yes, exactly. Great analogy. Got to speak it, speak it into existence, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I set I set goals and I just go like I don't I don't really use like I actually as I'm doing this interview with you guys I um I had to get with myself because I used the word hard and I don't really use them words I don't really use easy or hard I just set meaningful goals and I like you said I work because mm-hmm. I tell people like you know if you stop and you think about oh it's too easy it's easy or you look forward to it being easy when it's not you could get discouraged. If you sit around and you think about, oh, it might be too hard, too hard, too hard. And then you might get discouraged. So I don't Mm -hmm. use them words. Like, that's two words I don't really use, easy or hard. I just set meaningful goals and I I go. Yeah, you can psych yourself out before you even get into it. Exactly, before you even get started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. Caster, dude, it's been a a pleasure, man, honestly. Thank you for for coming on. Thank you for your time. Um, It's honestly, you're... Like we said, your story is real and it's inspiring, and, and I'm glad you came out of it because a lot of people, a lot of people don't, unfortunately. You know, and then they, right. they go the wrong way. They, either they they end up dead or stuck in the same the same cycle, you know, over and over. And uh, I'm There's glad you found the light, man. Definitely, definitely, things that you said in this uh, this podcast that I think are going to reach the listeners in their own uh, personal trials in life. You know what I mean? So, thank you. Thank, I mean, thank you guys for having me, man. You know, there's anything that I want people to know is, you know, and this this sounds simple. And we hear people saying it is, and it's going to be the first chapter in my new book. It's called Know Your Worth. And it sounds simple, but that is such a powerful thing. Because when you know your worth, one of the greatest characteristics God gave you is the gift of resilience. So life will hit you hard. But when you know your worth and you know that I can get back up, mm-hmm. you get back up and you work hard and you push forward no matter what. Know Absolutely. your worth. Yep. Know your worth. Amen. Amen. You think that was cool? 
All right, that's a wrap for today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, go write a review, rate us. Hopefully, it's a five. Also, be sure you're supporting us. It's patreon.com slash the words over ice show. Every little bit helps, and we appreciate it all. So thanks again, guys. Take it easy.